commemorate the death of my mother, who died a few years ago, where I got the, the message in the course, and uh, two years later, the same course, I had to, to accept the <coughs> message uh, of the death of my only brother. <coughs> no, that he was dying, and we did all together a meditation, a meta meditation to ease his dying, which took some time, 10 days or so, he had cancer in his throat <coughs> and stomach. So, and um, so I finally got, I, I, I could go to his funeral at least. But to my mother's I couldn't because I was here. And um, <coughs> so this is a very important month month for me. It's also my birthday all together. <coughs> so I thought I um, dedicate I dedicate this um, discourse for, for um, memory, and you may take in all those you have parted from you as dear ones. Hmm? And um, it is not so far away from us, so strange actually, for we are in the middle of it, getting acquainted with this, with this interesting phenomenon. Death, dying, and impermanence. Impermanence goes together with dying. <coughs> and um, as you have heard, it is the foundation for spiritual growth in the Buddhist tradition. And actually, it's a big issue for all traditions <coughs> and religions. Um, but especially in the Buddhist tradition, for it brings it for us to face and to look at it. You heard, you uh, um, know, um, it is uh, the summit, the maturing of wisdom, complete wisdom, can come from the deep integration of this phenomenon. You also know, I told you, that my teacher stressed this fact very much. So it is a foundation for all spiritual growth, this fact that life is very fleeting. And every one of us ultimately has to face that. and will come uh, up to face this moment. It's an interesting phenomenon, especially in our culture, in that way that we, we all know we <coughs> contemplate uh, contemplating death or contemplating this, this, this fact of our lives is often considered to be a pessimistic 
it's really not a topic at the dinner table. <laughs> People think we are ne- one is negative when one brings that up. Have you ex- explored or experienced that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or some even think it's morbid. And um, get very resistant to what this uh, issue. Just the word alone makes them tremble and great brings about great fear. Well, we all have a little bit of that. And when we have thoughts of this event. And that is, in a way, very amazing. Um, if we think of death, is just in terms of life and birth. It cannot be other. But our attention is more to the first part, to the beginning of the life. It's exciting. I remember a friend of mine witnessed the birth of his daughter. How it moves the baby through the birth canal and all it was a birth at home. He couldn't stop talking about this amazement. Wherever he, 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 he went, he, he talked about it, as though nobody has ever seen it, many haven't, but he was totally caught by it and fascinated. It was a wonder for him, and a very secret, secret event. He was very touched by the experience and by the whole process um, so, and why is it that we are then so very resistant for the same life process on the other end? Isn't it so? It's interesting to see that. It's just uh, the, 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 it's the same fact. It's a fact. It's a fact of the life process just on the other end of the range. And as we go along now, um, we might might, uh, be open for it and maybe allow yourself to watch your reactions to the way I have uh, um, brought it here together as a discourse, my observations with the help of many quotes. We might so therefore watch our reactions and thoughts that come up in connection with what you are going to hear. I, I feel comfort, com, uh, comfortable about it, for we all are very much engaged right now, looking at impermanence very closely and, and at a very close level in a very close way, on a very fine level, not experiencing this whole mass of energy as it generates itself as impermanence. Whilst our minds have to go to certain deaths, they have to let go of what they are holding on. The conditioned mind has to die in that. So we are not so far away from all that fact, dying and impermanence. 
So, um, and this um, suggests, as you listen, for you, you engage thoughts. And that's okay. So it is a reflection. It is a reflecting um, meditation. And the topic is impermanence. That's what uh, the fourth foundation of mindfulness offers. Buddha Dharma's teaching uh, to, to talk about. About issues. And um, one of the most important one is impermanence. There are three necessary to penetrate deeply and to understand impermanence, dukkha, and anatta. The fact of unsatisfactoriness, the fact of impermanence, and the fact that there is here no individual entity here in this process. That to deeply see and realize that is wisdom, to live according to this truth. So, and besides thinking, so since thinking is a predominant activity in our minds, it shouldn't be such a difficult meditation, a reflection. And, um, but here we do it in already in contact with some experience we had of this issue, impermanence, in ourselves. So we know that we um, only don't uh, rely exclusively on the interpretations of our minds. So we are already uh, facing this issue on a deeper level. And it is a deconditioning of our ways of thinking um, as we, we, we do this reflection. We do a right reflection according to the truth. In usual life, we do usually a wrong reflections. That is the conditioned mind which interprets it from the level of, of, of intellect and wants and desires and so on. So in the same way and at the same time we have the delight here when we make such a reflective meditation. Please sit nicely, your meditative form. We have here the delight to experience and witness the process of deconditioning in this reflection. And uh, so in this way we get, uh, we help the process of practice along and we fall and it contributes such reflection to get, um, to see things more in harmony, to face things which ordinarily are frightening with greater courage and um, according to the truth, the true nature of things, really. Are we, are we looking in such reflections? <clears throat> so in that sense, such a discourse about this um, rather 
frightening issue um, for normal consciousness. It can be a complementary. It can be complementary for the practice we are doing here. There are uh, um, practices within the Buddhist realm and practices and teachings where very systematically, uh, systematically methods are practiced in order to come closer and um, um, to this issue, impermanence or death, and to integrate it um, more systematically and slowly and deeply. The, the Tibetans, for example, are known for that. Uh, and uh, they give, um, before a student re re receives vipassana, in order to sus uh, come and experience impermanence, the dying process in you, as you notice, uh, the breath arises and passes, the uh, sensation in that particular focus, they exist a minute and they die just to get born again in a different shape. Um, before they get initiated into this fine practice, they go years for very disciplined practices uh, in order to, uh, which avails them a closeness and an integration into their understanding um, of imper impermanence. And we all, we say, so they think about the seasons for a long time. They are sent out by the Master in nature to observe dying plants and, um, or sprouting plants, sprouting, uh, yeah, sprouting plants, and to observe their growing and their dying again. And they have to be present several times to these processes. They observe it wherever the Master points out to become aware of this issue, impermanence. And we uh, here um, can do the same from our own understanding and uh, observing on this refined level, impermanence, we, we, we have a wonderful preparation or state of mind with that prepared to detect impermanence outside in the world around us. We can do the same. And there are teachers, like my teacher, pointed out, go out and look at it and see death, dying um, in the, around you. And in all this, what's happening is we are creating the vivid context for our looking at life and at permanence, uh, at impermanence. Looking into our lives very deeply, into these very, very um, um, truths, to this very truth. Um, you all have um, 
talked about death and impermanence and have had touches with it in one way or another. But it really didn't go deep. It was always just a fleeting moment where we um, perceived it. How, when you came to this practice and you heard first that it is um, very important to understand impermanence or anicca, when I heard that from my teacher, I thought, well, everybody knows that. Yes, said the old, ma, the old uh, disciple, but it takes a 95-year-old one to really get it. <laughs> so, um, and it takes long time, really long time, long practice and disciplinedness in that practice to hold the mind on this issue to make it a living consciousness in us, a living understanding, to make this truth useful and successful. One has to go real deep into this issue, into it, and to hear it again and again, to reflect it to compli- and to com- contemplate it. And once we are trained, to see impermanence deeply, to see it more as a living, guiding force in us, as we look around and get hints and look at it in this deeper understanding and it becomes apparent, we acknowledge it, we recognize it, this phenomenon. We get from everything we see hints for deepening, for for, for, Uh, believing this is a truth for uh, um, deepening and integrating on deeper level this understanding, this truth. And life becomes almost like it is, uh, um, it would teach, teach you the way wherever you are. Who can understand it? It's very, very easy in a way to understand, it's not so easy to do. So now we, as Vipassana meditators, are also asked and begin without being asked, when you carry a little bit of consciousness in yourself, which comes from your own experience, you start looking at the world in this way and you are taking the consequences, living with them. You begin to reflect deeper to accept it, but it was more quiet. And you begin to contemplate it again. What happens when we once are born? You look at it very truly, very directly, without fear now. We grow up, do we? We do things, we are doing the way we are doing them. And then we get older. And where do we go? That comes very natural, without fear. We're going to die, we can tell ourselves openly. It is like one-way traffic. No, no return ticket, 
for this traffic, for this journey. To see clearly in the direction in which our lives are, um, are going and to get a certain, certain, a kind of certainty for the way, for the way we are going, and that this, and that we are going in this direction. While well, that whole process is a reflection, a contemplating this fact, and it sinks deeper into our consciousness. Don't you feel it has already, through this course and through our intensive work and all what we did, made a, a little more impression upon our lives, upon our consciousness, these truths that there is dukkha, that there is um, impermanence? We give up craving for something else, running away. More harmony, more rest comes and has come for many, and maybe for all of us, at one time or another. So it begins then to sink deeper into our system. We kind of see it, our lives like an arrow shot into space, shot by a skillful archer. As soon as he pulled the string or the bow, Irreversible is that error. It goes to its to its uh, uh, aim, and this is our lives. Quickly, like the error, it reaches um, its target. This life, and that is death for human. There is no moment of hesitation, no pausing, no turning around in that arrow, and so in our lives too. The Buddha says it's like the current of a great river, never turning back. It moves on with every step we make, with every breath we take. We are drawing closer to this event. And there, <laughs> inevitably for us humans and mortals, the question is rising. Is there no way to get around? People have tried. I mean, think of the big pyramids which house the pharaohs and how they are buried. In everything they owned, possessed, including their servants, were killed and had to go with them because they had that idea or belief at one time it will continue that corpse can relive or can get up to have another cycle in the way it left it. So, is there, um, that question is, uh, wasn't only then there with the pharaohs, it also has us hit here and then. Also we know the answer, but secretly somehow um, it has come up 
죠
it decayed and he's gone too. So that can help us to see the I can't get it. It's inevitable, want the noun from it. Inevitability of this event we call death. And yet, so they are all gone. And if you look at yourself, despite all that, also we didn't know this, we have had and harbored here and there a thought that it might be uh, maybe possible uh, to evade it or that we are spared. If I just practice long enough or just get enlightened deeply enough, I may get around it or do good things, eat and uh, take the best uh, health food, um, um, nourishment and go a lot to the chiropractor, do good jogging and so on. I may sustain my health forever. And think, in hundred years from now, each one in this room and every person you know and beyond in this world, everyone, will be gone. It's a total new replacement. Why? Because these bodies die. Now that should really make an impression upon us and help us a little bit more to to, to, to get into, into that harmony which this understanding issues and renders. Not an intellectual understanding. So we, we have to get this sense very deeply. So when we now realize there is no way out and as we are reflecting more and more beginning and continue our um, practice of vipassana or looking at impermanence on these refined levels within our field of energy, um, we come to accept this fact a little bit more, more as a natural event, kind of certainty, uh, do we, for the, for the process of dying and um, attain. And <clears throat> but then we go on again, but it doesn't happen right away. We still have time. That also is um, here and then appearing in our consciousness or in human consciousness. It's very frightening this thing it entails a total uh, cessation of our living process of our experiencing structure we cannot eat anymore we can't think anymore um, Nagarjuna uh, in that Indian epic exclaims life is so fragile more so than a bubble blown through by the wind, that after an outbreath, no, 
it is true by the wind. How truly astonishing are those who think that after an outbreath they will truly, surely breathe in again, or that they will awaken again after a night's sleep. There is not the slightest guarantee that we will. And here is something from the book Unforgettable File in Hiroshima, of Hiroshima. This morning, someone describing, um, started with a cloudless blue sky. I got from the streetcar of the Kobe Line 10 a.m. The door was open and I was standing there. As I heard the starting bell ring, I saw a silver flash and heard an enormous explosion. Everything was instantly covered with fire of pink and blue light. The light was hot and painful. Innumerable pieces of glass attacked me in head, face and back. I was pushed from behind by a strong force. I fell down. The next moment everything went dark. It could happen to us right now, this moment. We just don't know. If this were to happen within three minutes from now, how would we like to live them? Another way of contemplating the reality. Have you done that? I think we have, occasionally, inevitably, maybe half a year, or if you have four weeks. In our uh, um, uh, center, in the desert, in one of our little cabins, we call the cabins of solitude or living um, simply, simple, we have, I think, two or three retired people, men, who like to to be there. One followed me from a retreat from here 10 or 12 years ago and he's still there. One of them, fairly not so very old, he has about half a year to live. And the process is starting to show that it is serious. I call him quite often, he's in terror. But he's one of those who has the least contact and uh, is too much overwhelmed because he's only 46 years old and he cannot accept it. So I like to read you now again something. Please sit down. I'd like to read you now something in that direction uh, what Don Juan has said about this. You know Castaneda's book? There are three or four books, all talk about the master teaching this disciple 
and one of his issue was always the death issue and um, there are famous passages um, of his teaching here I like to read you the following he is speaking the master you don't have time my friend that it is a mis the misfortune for human beings that is the misfortune of human beings focus your attention between you and your death without remorse or sadness or worrying focus your attention on the fact you don't have time and let your acts flow accordingly let each of your acts be the last battle on earth only under those conditions will your acts have their rightful power otherwise there will be as long as you live the acts of a timid fearful man is it okay to be timid a timid person a timid man no it is not if you are going to be immortal but if you are going to die there is time for timidity simply because time makes you cling to something what is only in your thoughts it soothes you temporarily while everything is at the law but then your awesome mysterious world will open will open its mouth for you as it will open it for every one of us and then you will realize that your sure ways were not sure at all being timid prevents uh, and fearful prevents us from exploring and examining to the ground our being our being human a friend of mine santa barbara after the failure of his marriage felt he needs to go on i don't know what else it was um felt he needs to go deeper into his life into the issues of life and um so he um committed himself to to the emergency mark in a hospital to work with dead people here they were bringing it was an emergency mark there here they were bringing in the bodies of people who had just died in different ways they were bringing um, so they had just that and and he said that it was most astonishing thing for him the most astonishing thing for him was not that they were dead but in the way they came in or had died there was no rule the way they came in he said 
In the morning they would bring in an old man who had died in the hospital next door. Or a little later at 10 mid-morning, a motorcycler, a young man, uh, quite, uh, um, uh, quite uh, strong and looking healthy, was laying dead there. And then at noon, there was delivered a woman in her forties. He described this. And with her handbag um, and shopping bag in her hands, dead. Obviously, she had been run over by a car whilst shopping perhaps lunch for her family or children. In the afternoon they, they would bring in two babies, twins, be having been too small and too weak to take on life. So we don't know when it is going to be. Yet we live Majority lives as though we live forever. And why is that? Well, I think it's easy to, to contemplate the fear. Fear and being afraid of, of what? Of something I don't know. Of the unknown. Maybe we are afraid even of the ultimate loneliness. But that is a concept. Who is lonely? You see, it's just a, a, a contemplation. And perhaps it is simply because it is so imperceivable, or so, so impossible to perceive this act for us. So, um, doing, uh, so that's why we are doing reflections and um, begin to watchfully and, care, and carefully watch it, where we can detect our resistance for it if we want to integrate this event or this uh, aspect in our lives. And we are asked to do it through our practice alone just by coming to deeper perception of this phenomenon in ourselves, being as this constant dying uh, and, uh, and reborn um, and of the field of energies and woes of such fine level, we cannot but get it one day. So then uh, in naturally and in... in uh, we, we just begin to, to, to contemplate and to be with it, see it more, and see the, our resistance in this way more and more disappearing. When you think of death, what comes up in your, uh, um, on, in your mind when you imagine this moment of parting? I think to most of us it is very nebulous, it's very unclear. Something gray, haziness. Have you tried? Uh, no, just thinking about it. Um, 
something grey around us or before us, or haziness. It appears to me, at least I realize it. It looks... Um, um, it, it, we look at it a little while, although it's usually happening, and then somehow it rationalizes itself away. It doesn't stay long, unless you have a really a commitment to it and a deep integration, and you can maybe deep, go deeper into that space. So, but it rationalizes itself quickly away just because of our fear and our uh, um, uh, anxieties before this um, uncertainty. So it is good to watch it and to um, get um, reflective about it and go into science like that. And like any practice in our lives, it needs, um, or, um, it needs training, any skillfulness. So we will continue to come uh, to really uh, to integrate this very deeply, where we really understand it is a certain issue, it is a truth, and that it can come any time. So, as I already said, there are different, very specific practices given in some Buddhistic um, systems, meditation systems, where you uh, are through imagination and through um, imaging and envisioning, you can maybe ask to, to see yourself as a sick person and helpless and crying um, family members around. The food which is brought to you is, is tasteless and colorless <coughs> for you. You have no energy anymore to speak. You already notice the, the elements are, are fading and getting weaker. Get a sense of the heat element leaving you and so on. <coughs> they are very vital um, practices. Das has done, made such an attempt in, in Yucca Valley, just near our center. In the so big, um, men, uh, um, big hall of the mental physics, beautiful, beautiful a meditation hall. And they put a coffin in the center, uh, raised it on a platform. Everyone was looking around, one was going in. And I'm sure Ramdas has described the scene I started to describe very vital and very dynamically, so that you could really imagine yourself being there uh, or in the last stage um, before your, your occupation of the coffin. So, were you... Um, and lamas, very accomplished ones, have been able, through the power of their concentration and right directing the energies, to exit themselves to die, to induce a dying process. They could totally separate themselves. They could look back at, the, at their body as a corpse, with, uh, but with having the connection still, they could re-enter, enter, enter. So that's why they 
have such beautiful messages or talk can tell us about this dying process quite uh, and the phases of dying this is what they call the different bardos and the time after the life force and mind has and consciousness has separated the thinking and emoting still goes on for some time I was in the teacher conference or Buddhist uh, convention in Chicago two years or three years ago, and there was a Lama who explained that a little bit in the little um, work work group, and he said it takes 40 days till total separation from the body has taken place, and so one should actually have um, great care for the freshly dead person. And look how we are acting with them. It has hardly blown out the last breath. The people from the from the mortuary already are there. Remove it, and he has not cooled off. The fire already has burned it into ashes. And that is the the moment, the the issue I contemplate sometimes. I think it must be terrible. Perhaps, but I don't know. Maybe it, uh, the, the, well, the, the corpse burns, not the so not the, the the consciousness. Then it is said at one stage, um, after some certain days, um, there appears still in that consciousness a certain um, a certain certain forms of light. And then that is a sign, if you have died consciously and be awake, you probably know, that is the time where the re, uh, rebirth time begins. Or then, um, well, I don't want to go into it, I have no, it's not true, I have some touch with it. I had such um, terrifying and uh, enlightening experience. So uh, one was I told you that and I wanted to die. My teacher told me I shall die uh, peacefully. Before that, I had those. Di- really, it was not an idea. I could really feel that uh, moving. Um, there is a book by uh, I got it in our old library describing the process of dying, Socrates describes it to his friend Plato um, after he took Hemlock, what is happening. You can read it. Um, he talks about uh, observing the, the element of heat going in his feet and then uh, piece by piece the last part is apparently this part here which is staying alive. And um, so, these are all, this this is an an issue which has been, uh, has called human's fascination from the beginning of man and humankind. Humankind. It was always the greatest concern for the living.
And in our culture, there is a great revolution taking place and uh, reformation, so to speak, uh, to change the attitude uh, of us to this issue, to be not so um, pretending it isn't there, and uh, living a life uh, by this, and uh, turning away from it, living a life of fear and terror because uh, one cannot shake it somehow. You, you really cannot be convinced of the pretense and of your turning away from it. So it seems it's a very important issue. It is something which is close to our heart and we almost naturally want to explore that. In Buddhism, it, the contemplations on this issue and looking into it and integrating it is considered a very skillful means for your life. For wonderful um, uh, um, attitudes come from it, deep insights, and you face the truth, and that means you are living um, now an honest life and becomes more harmonious, and you have conquered with that gradually the greatest fear, the mother of all fears by which we live. This fear is underschwellig, under, underground, so to speak, but it activates all little fears we have in all forms. And we may, and uh, we have trouble um, in finding out why are we having this fear. Not knowing this issue, you will, we will always have fear, it's natural. A human being has to live by fear, for this is a fact, and it isn't looked at, it isn't accepted as a truth, so we're living a lie, on lies, and take, uh, take that as a point of reference for what we are doing. We don't live from the level of truth, but that, what can come out of that life more dukkha, and quite hectic dukkha, and uh, grievous dukkha, heavy dukkha. So, here again, from Castaneda to this subject, death is your eternal companion, Don Juan said, with the most serious air to his disciple. It is always to your left, with an arm's length. It has always been watching you. It always will until the day it taps you. Always watching you means that subtle uh, fear in us, um, that not resolved issue that is death coming true anyway, but the one who knows like, like Don Juan, he says, it is death living at your shoulder, tapping you. How can anyone feel so important when we know that death is stalking us? He asks. The thing to do when you are impatient to perceive it, to turn to your left and to ask advice from your death. Remember that. <laughs> 
and an immense amount of, of, of pettiness and of fear is dropped that moment. Sacks of conditioning and are dropping away when death makes a gesture to you. If you catch a glimpse of it, it just gets you, have a, it just um, lets you um, know you have a companion who guides you well. So the disciple is overwhelmed by it and he says, tells him that he believes him and that he does not, the master, does not need to press the issue <laughs> any further. It's enough. Maybe you already felt I doing it. Be gentle. Because I was terrified, he said, the disciple, I re rep he replied, and he replied, the master, that the issue of our death was never pressed far enough. So he goes on and says, you are full of crap. <laughs> he explains plainly, death is your only advisor that we have, that you have. Whenever you feel, as we always do, that everything is going wrong and that you are about to be annihilated, turn to your death and ask if that is so, if it is now. Your death will tell you that you are wrong, that nothing really matters outside its touch. Your death will tell you, I have not touched you yet. And thus you drop the cursed pettiness in that moment that possessed a human being that lived her life as though death never tapped her or him. So we can use, as, um, as um, Don Juan's teaching was, um, the awareness of death as a skillful means to live more fully, more, more uh, in harmony, and above all, more with the truth. Living with the truth is uh, uh, a different life than living on the grounds of untruth, of pretending. And that is right insight and right understanding. And that with that starts Buddha's, Buddha's eightfold path. The first, um, um, the first aspect of the eight aspects of the eightfold path is right understanding, right and correct insight. So to understand deeply and correctly and this, uh, this issue, impermanence, to see it as a truth and to live from this truth, to see non-satisfactory and above and after that, or with it, the non-substantiality, that is then a life, um, a way in which we live, which is, not, is only harmony and it is peace with all things around us, within us, 
and above us. It brings energy to life and lets us more live, uh, 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 live more lively, more fully and completely. For we are really now understanding we are living from the truth. We refer on the life, our life is guided from truth, from understanding truth in us. So we will make the right efforts in our lives and we will be more peaceful, less fearful. And it brings at the same time detachment for the fears are those which let us cling and, 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 and grasp and hang on. Many things will lose their importance for us at this consciousness and there will be a shift of emphasis in our lives and we will be much less preoccupied with having, with pretending, with wanting, with getting, with becoming. Instead of that we will be much more compassionate, caring, living in harmony our relationships to ourselves and to life and will have joy. We will breathe in compassion and breathe out joy. And what is most interesting of all for me here is that it brings us to live in the present moment fully with awakeness with brilliancy in the mind, with brilliancy in the heart, lets us live a lively, with much deeper appreciation, this moment of this life, right now, and all is new. It awakens us to the beauty of life, to the beauty of now, and to its exquisiteness. Remember when we were down in the dungeon and we walked hand in hand with a partner across the room. One couple walked to set the whole arrangement right and one experience of us was it felt sublime, exquisite, Sublimity comes in. All these beautiful names we have um, and uh, to which we feel aspired and much more so attracted to manifest them in our own lives. So then we can start appreciating every moment and live it every moment as new as never lived before, no matter whether it is nice this moment or unpleasant, whether it is pleasant or it is painful, it is then just life doing its thing, just because we are, just because it is being alive. I am present. 
and it can, of course, this way, make our lives a continuous celebration. That is the feature of celebration, to be awake, to be present, to be joyful, to be elated, to be exquisite and sublime. It, and I like to read you for closing what Ramdas had to say as he visited death row people in St. Quentin prison. He said, there were about 35 men. They all had been condemned to death. But they were not quite sure yet because the Federal Supreme Court had to make some decision. So Ramdas said, as I went up to each cell, there was only a few who were not receiving me openly, clearly and quietly and consciously. The feeling I had was that I was visiting a monastery for these men who were facing death had been pushed into a situation that had cut through their whole melodrama. And they are right, were right there. They, we sat together sending out love to all sentient beings in the universe. There was light pouring out of these people's eyes. We got so very open that it was easy for any one of us without freaking out to say, I love you, I feel with you. Then he goes on and says, I cannot tell whether what is happening to you is a blessing, the death penalty, to you, what is happening to you is a blessing or a curse. For there is little chance that we again would be sharing a space that is higher than this. And perhaps we all have had perhaps moment, uh, such high moments in the presence of a dead one or at a funeral, or at a similar situation, a dying one who has witnessed dying. Yeah, isn't that that feeling there? If you are awake, if you aren't, you will cry and, and lament and not understand and be bewildered. So, it is this feeling to, to be in such uh, moments um, as you are walking along a precipice, pass on a deep precipice in the mountain, where you're right there without any effort. I just uh, had chances to sit with corpses and uh, um, it, it, it gave the same atmosphere, an enormous awakeness, just by looking for six hours into that 
dead face. If you do it in the right way, the awareness and your understanding and the acceptance of it So, yeah, I like you to 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 see that moment. Uh, those who had ra- raised their hand, which was experienced in the presence of uh, such incidences or events, funeral, dying. Um, and um, uh, recollect yourself whether <clears throat> you did uh, feel in this way um, being present, being awake, noticing the last the breath breathing until it came to the last breath, it changes the breath. I have just watched it with my dog, but it um, really changes some fast breath come toward the end. The in-breath is less and less and the out-breath is longer till a long one comes and then it is quiet. So the awareness of death gets us right into a a, a different um, attitude to life, gets us right into the fresh, into the moment and life becomes very precious. Tremendous gratitude can render this mo- such such awareness, and um, um, preciousness of life is being felt, and um, tenderness and love issues from this type of consciousness. So now to close, I like to read from Castaneda's book once more, and this is not much so an advice than the other one was the old master's advice to the disciple to keep death as its company, his company. But it is more here describing the beautiful mood of someone who has lived very fully and has to face this moment. This is the place where you will die he said in a soft voice, that is death talking, talking to him. I fidgeted, the disciple speaks, nervously changing positions and he smiled. Everyone has a place to die, a place of his predilection, which is soaked with unforgettable memories where powerful events left their mark a place where he has witnessed miracles of his life, a place where the secret has been real to him, where he has started his personal power. Probably it refers to the place of his awakening. Awakening to that awareness. Finally, one day, when he feels his time is up, and he, feel, and he feels the first tap of his death on his left shoulder, his spirit, which is always ready, 
flies to this place, his place of predilection, and there the warrior dances to his death. If the dying warrior has limited power, his dance is short. If his power is grandiose, that means mindful awareness, his dance will be magnificent. But regardless, whether his powers are small or magnificent, death must stop the witness last stand on earth. Understand that? Whether his powers are small or magnificent, whether his enlightenment is large or big, matured, or his awareness is, is matured, death must stop the witness last stand on earth. The witness dies with it. Don Juan's word made, sh made me shiver. The quietness, the twilight, the magnificent scenery all seem to have been placed here as supports or pops for the last image of the warrior's last power. You will dance your death here on this hilltop, the voice goes on, at the end of the day, and your last dance will tell you of your struggle, of the battles you have won and lost, and of those you have lost in your life. It will tell you this dance of your choice and bewilderness, of your personal power, and your dance will tell you about the secrets and the marvels you have stored, and your death will sit here, watch you. The dying sun will glow, and you, without burning, the dying sun will glow on you, without burning, as it has done today. The wind will be soft and mellow, and your hilltop will tremble. As you reach the end of your dance, you will look at the sun. The end of the dance in reality means probably the process of dying. You will look at the sun at the end of your dance, for you will never see it again. In walking or in dreaming, and then your death will point to the south, to the vastness. And for us, I like to close, perhaps we aren't such great warriors receiving such messages. Yet what we can do here in our lives in our, da in, 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 the, in our lives, to dance this dance completely and awarely, fearlessly. We can dance our death from moment to moment with love and with care and with gracefulness and practice of mindfulness to our life's aspects. 
is the greatest and most effective help to do this. Thank you. So that was our last discourse for your contemplation, for overcoming the fears we have and the anxieties around around this issue. <laughs> As she comes, I noticed I did it quick. Oh, it's still going. Not necessary. So. You see, it's contemplating in this close way, this reality is almost more impressive and direct than just seeing our sensations here as, as um, impermanence. Hmm? It somehow brings it closer into it and lets us get a more immediate touch of this. And what really is meant by this um, a chant my teacher did, which is a Buddhist chant, Buddha, from Buddha's time, Sabi Sankara Anichati, Yada Panya Yapasati. Panya, you recognize, is wisdom. Anicca, you recognize, is impermanence. Now you recognize the third one too. Atanibendati Duke. It is not dukkha, probably because of the grammar here. Dukkha is in it too. Eso mago visudia. Now, mago means the past. Visudia, liberation. I only know some words. And um, dukkha, we know, as a, a, a first characteristic the Buddha of life, existence, he delineates. Then we have anicca, impermanence. And um, so, sabe, sankara, if one knows anicca, impermanence, with complete panya, wisdom, integratedness, atanibendati dukkha, you have overcome dukkha. And that is the way to liberation, to liberation. I'm an interpreter. <laughs> so that's very... Now, um, you have more background for that. I hope we have succeeded with all the things I put together um, and to, 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 to make us a reflection, to avail us a reflection of this issue. I hope that it has, we have succeeded to broaden our, our, our awareness of it and to have a deeper background for if we hear the words 
and to understand maybe the urgency by which this issue, this teaching is introduced, or the, the um, total comprehension and understanding is advised. Mind you, to the deep understanding and integration of anicca and dukkha is, is wisdom, is, is, um, yeah, avails us wisdom. That means we are wise now. Wisdom is not an entity or a kind of a golden ball. It is something which can arise each time you see not wisdom. It is a flexible thing. It is living in you as understanding, as awakeness, as a capacity to see clearly. That's wisdom. It is not a solid thing again. Nothing is solid, as you know. And it, it, it is a state of freedom. Freedom. Deliverance of the heart. Being deliberated. Freedom. Free from, well, you know, 84,000. To name a few. And under this falls also ignorance or the whole whole scope in our lives of misunderstanding, which is ignorance or ignoring the truth, what life is really about. And then when you now live, you live from this understanding that this wise living, you heard me, it's living harmony and full caring and pristine uh, uh, um, joy and harmony. So uh, you, you um, can let a lot of the wrongdoings in the world, world around you and Dukkha come through you, into you. You are always ready to, to communicate, to, to help, to give your heart. You don't, you don't, you are not crushed. And we don't need to think on the completion of it. This practice is, as, uh, unfolds in such a way, that's why we go at it so wonderfully, that it avails us little peaks and little elations and moments of correct and good, un- good understanding the, and the moments where um, insight gives us um, the um, affirmation of that what is true. Um, we have many of those moments, and they are beautiful, and they are described as sublime and free and very alive. You know, we have done all that. So um, that is the beauty that we in uh, we are training on the job, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it is not... Uh, um, life is uh, the job, we're training on the job. So that means uh, training is not uh, something above all this samsaric uh, living, uh, living existence. Hmm? It isn't above, not a minute, not a second above. 
And so we can um, get touches of living in confidence, being affirmed, um, trusting. We can live moments of harmony, and those let these moments then become a good reservoir in us and establish a stability for those chaotic, uh, despairing, in, uh, um, insecure, unsure times in our lives. That makes sense? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.